Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you today. Glad that you're here on this Pentecost Sunday, this Sunday to celebrate the Spirit, and the Sunday that begins a new worship series as well. Now, I wore my favorite attire this morning, and some folks made fun of that. I mean, some people called me the ice cream man. Someone who shall go unnamed called me Mr. Clean. And I just don't get it. But I'm grateful that you're here as we celebrate the Spirit, as we celebrate… Hey, by the way, thank you, choir and orchestra and everybody. That was good stuff. Good stuff. So we begin this new worship series on the book of Acts, and some of us wonder, golly, where does this name book of Acts come from? I mean, it's very different from like a gospel name or a letter to a community, right? The book of Acts actually has as its formal name the Acts of the Apostles. What that means is uh, the apostles, those early followers of Jesus, acted on their faith, right? They took action for their faith, and why we call this worship series quite literally ACT, because we're going to discover how that early first century church can teach us in the 21st century how to act on behalf of Jesus in a world that is highly similar. The world that we live in today that is multi-ethnic, multi-racial, multi-religious, all those kind of multis is exactly the world into which Peter and Paul and the early disciples went, and they, man, caused the church to explode into a movement because they used, I'll call them tactics, but they used ways of being, actions like love and mercy and inclusion and welcoming and hospitality and encouragement to reach people for the cause of Jesus Christ. And we're going to learn over these next several weeks kind of how that takes shape and why it's important that we relearn or perhaps learn for the very first time why these folks in the first century church are so critically important to us in the 21st century. So we begin on the day called Pentecost. As you heard from uh, Pastor Karen, that uh, they gathered on the day of Pentecost. Well, that day of Pentecost was not our day of Pentecost, but rather the Hebrew celebration. It was a sending forth of the law. It was a, it was a harvest festival, and they gathered in Jerusalem on that day, and we co-opted the name, and we claim it now as 50 days past Easter. That's when uh, Pentecost always comes. And here's what we celebrate on Pentecost. We celebrate that the Holy Spirit has come and we give thanks for that gift, and we celebrate the birth of the church. Did you know this is the birth of the Christian church? When the Holy Spirit showed up, the church was born, and it began in such a way that it became an explosion of faith. It became the, the beginning of a movement, and it changed the then known world. And so we celebrate the coming of the Spirit and the birth of the church today. And some of you wonder to yourself, as I'm sure you've done before, when we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit, how does that work? I mean, the, the Spirit's been around for millennia, in fact. Long before this day of Pentecost, God's Spirit was uh, working in the world, right? When we go back to Hebrew Scriptures, the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, in the very first chapter, the very second verse, we discover that the earth is formless and void or empty, but the Spirit of God is hovering over the deep waters. God's Spirit has been with us since the very beginning of creation. We also know that the Spirit was upon some of the kings. In 1 Samuel chapter 10, we discover that the power of God's Spirit rests on Saul so that he can then begin to prophesy. And so we begin to realize as well, man, the Spirit continues to work not only in creation but in the kings. Even some of the prophets claim that the God's Spirit was working in and through them. I'm reminded of Ezekiel in the second chapter where Ezekiel just says, the Spirit of God moved within him and gave him the power to stand up 
and to speak forth on behalf of God and to give God glory and praise. You see, the Spirit of God has been with us since the very beginning. So what's the deal? How is it that we can celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost? Well, here's what I believe, and I hope you'll join me. What I believe is that the Spirit was not only with God in the beginning and with God through the uh, kings and with God through the prophets, but on this day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is poured out in a very new way, in a very expansive way, and actually calls for a response. And, And so when the author of the book of Acts, which is highly likely to be the author of the Gospel of Luke, he writes both books, and, and in part he uses some great language to describe the freshness and the newness of the way in which the Holy Spirit is being poured out upon us. And you hear things like the rush of a mighty wind, right, and the t- tongues of flames of fire dancing on people's heads, and you begin to hear people speaking in other languages, and all of that is a powerful descriptor for how something must be new, something must be different, and we need to therefore celebrate the way in which God's Spirit is being poured out on the church to birth it, to grow it, to to make a change in the world. And so we begin to discover that, man, this surely is something new. This is something very, very different, and it comes in a very powerful way. In fact, the power that the Holy Spirit gives is capacity, capacity to do things that we had not previously been able to do capacity to reach people that we had not previously been able to reach, capacity to gain clarity on what it is God desires of us and from us, right? The Spirit does amazing work, and that's what we celebrate on Pentecost. But this this language of the the winds and the sounds and the um, tongues of fire and all of the people speaking, that's not the miracle. The miracle of Pentecost comes in a very different way. And it sounds something like this. I'm going to read a couple of those verses, and I want to see if you can capture what the miracle becomes. Verse 6, it says, And at this sound, meaning all of the people speaking, and at this sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Then we skip down to verse 8. And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? And then we skip down to verse 10. In our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. There's a commonality there, isn't there? They hear people speaking in their own native language. And there were plenty of them, right? You heard uh, Pastor Kraska talk about all the different people, right, from Medes and Pamphylia and Phrygia and Egypt and Rome and uh, Cretans and all. I mean, there were some 15 different sort of cultures and communities and nations being spoken of, and they're all speaking in their own native language. They're speaking in their own way. And a part of what we begin to realize in our own lives is that people are speaking their own languages, Right? Whenever we hear somebody speaking in a different language than ourselves, what's our initial gut reaction? Well, it's, oh, wow, they speak a different language, or, wow, they're different than me, right? They're somehow unique from me, and and then there are all kinds of things that come after that. Sometimes it's uh, excitement and and joy. Oh, there's somebody who speaks another language, and I'm real excited, and I might even want to get to know them, too man, I'm not sure I like that person, or I'm not sure I understand who they are or what they're about, right? And everything in between. But the initial gut reaction is, wow, they're different. They're unique. And I might or I might not 
want to get to know them. That's just kind of an initial gut reaction. So the miracle of Pentecost begins to be two very clear and distinct things. I think the miracle of Pentecost is hearing, hearing in own native languages, hearing other people speak, hearing what it is God is doing in and through them. Remember it said at the very end that they heard them speaking about God's mighty deeds of power. But the second miracle is that they begin to respond. So the first miracle is, I hear you. You may be speaking Medes, or you may be speaking Pamphylia, or you may be speaking Rome, uh, you know, whatever, uh, Latin. I, I, I hear you. I hear who you are. I hear what you're saying. I hear what God's doing in and through you. I hear what you're claiming about God's mighty deeds of power. And then I'm going to respond. And the response was pretty phenomenal. If you read further into Acts chapter 2, and it's probably the longest chapter in the book of Acts, but when you read all the way through the book of Acts, what you begin to discover is over 3,000 people come to faith that day because of the movement of the Spirit. And in part, one of the ways that the Spirit is moving is in and through Peter. Remember Peter, who was a famous disciple who also abandoned Jesus and left him literally hanging on the cross? That Peter? That Peter got up and spoke because of the power of the Holy Spirit. That Peter got up and spoke magnificently about what it is Christ had done and how it is he had given his life on the cross and been raised from the dead and that he had done that for everybody. And it was in and through the power of the Spirit that those people from different cultures and from different ethnicities and even different religions began to hear what was being said. And they began to hear what it was God was doing. And the miracle became that they could hear somebody speaking in a new language or a different language and one with which they were completely unfamiliar. But somehow by the power of the Spirit, they had capacity. They had capability. And they responded to the message They responded to the word about Jesus. They responded to the way in which he could change lives. And so the response became phenomenal. When you read the book of Acts, and we will go through several chapters, of course, over the next several weeks, we will begin to discover how powerful the Spirit is. There are some who literally call the book of Acts the gospel of the Holy Spirit that it so much helps us define and describe and delineate and and help us to better understand what the Spirit's movement is in our hearts and in our lives, that it changed the church then and it can change the church now because of the miracle of hearing and responding. Now, the languages that people were speaking were not only literal, different languages, right, from different countries, but they also became kind of a metaphor for we're different. We come from different ethnicities, different cultures, different backgrounds, different understandings, and a part of what happens is the miracle of discovering that maybe we've got something in common. Maybe in the midst of all of our differences, maybe in the midst of what separates us, there could actually be something that binds us together, that pulls us together, that claims us for a more common cause, and that, of course, is Jesus. And that's what built the early church, was recognizing in the midst of all of our differences, in the midst of everything that might or could separate us, we could find one common thing, and that would be Jesus. And that's how the church grew was recognizing that each one of us has something to offer or bring something to the table, no matter where we've come from or how we got to where we are now, we now claim our common bond in Jesus. You know, the miracle at Pentecost, the hearing, the responding, it is actually a reversal of Babel. You know Babel? 
you know, babbling, right? I mean, we use that word from time. That person's babbling. They're just talking gibberish, right? It goes all the way back to the book of Genesis, this community. And, and in Babel, they began to discover they wanted to reach God. They wanted to build a tower to God. They wanted to uh, build this thing that would bring a claim to who they were. And in and of itself, it seemed great, right? Because who of us doesn't want to reach God? Who of us doesn't want to bring the, the, the power of God down to us, right? So when they begin this process, it sounds like a wonderful endeavor. Let's build a tower so that we can talk to God, reach God, connect with God. But what we quickly discover is that the community of Babel had no consideration for anybody else, no consideration for anything else but simply this tower. And the story is recorded, of course, in Genesis chapter 11. And in Genesis chapter 11, at the beginning, it, it tells us that um, the, everybody had a common language. Literally, we all spoke the same language, but also I believe what it means is in addition to that is we all understood each other. We all kind of got along and we all kind of figured it out together. We all knew one another. We spoke a common language. But while they were there, the people from Babel said, it's recorded in verse 4 of Genesis 11, come, let's build a great city for ourselves. Let's build a tower that will reach God. This will help us to become famous. And all you realize is they don't care about anybody else. They just consider themselves. And it didn't matter if anybody else could do this or if anybody else wanted to do this or if this had any interest to anybody else or if we could maybe, I don't know, help somebody else or offer care to somebody else. All we really wanted to do was to build a tower, to make a name for ourselves, to be famous, and everybody will know who we are in Babel. Well, pretty much we all know who people are from Babel now, don't we? Because we get this word in our English language that says, you're babbling because God realized that they were being self-centered, self-determined, selfish individuals. In fact, they are sort of the, the archetype for all of us because truth be told, I'll just speak for myself, but I think it's probably true of all of us, I like things the way I like them, when I want them, how I want them, I want them done the way I want to do them, right? Most of us are pretty self-centered, so the Babelian people really are just images of us. They're really just a recognition that we only want our way and we want a direct way, right? And so later in that same chapter in verse 9, it just says that place is now called Babel because it's there that the Lord confused their language and for millennia we spoke different languages physically and metaphorically. We're different. We communicate in different formats. We relate in different formats. We understand each other differently. And so we both speak different languages and we represent different languages, right? And the miracle of Pentecost reversed all that. The miracle of Pentecost said, yeah, we are different. We are unique. We are distinct. But guess what? If we'll claim faith in Jesus, we've got a common bond, and we can speak a common language, and we can achieve a common goal, and we can help others to do the same. But we can only do it through the miracle of hearing and responding. And the hearing is our human condition, but the responding is the spiritual supernatural condition of I understand and I want to go there and I want to do that, but I can only do it if I'll first listen. And my gut tells me that many of us in this room are now reflecting on the fact that we need a new Pentecost, don't we? 
because we live among a people and we are a people who don't listen to each other anymore. We don't want to. We don't like to. It makes us uncomfortable because there are people who think differently than me and act differently than me and have different values than me, and I don't want to. But I want to suggest that the miracle of Pentecost can make it possible that we can hear one another again, that God's Spirit is still moving, that the winds of God's Spirit are still claiming and still blowing, and that the flames of God's Spirit are still burning within us, and the desire is that we could actually hear one another and that we could hear God moving among us and that we could actually respond to that. And in part, that response would be, God loves you, God wants you, and so do I, whoever the you is, friends, because there's a whole bunch of yous out there. And we all need to listen, and we all need to respond to the movement of God's Spirit. And I believe there are ways for us to do this. I believe that God's Spirit can empower us to do this. I believe that God's Spirit is still moving among us every single day, not only at the beginning of creation and through the kings and through the prophets and through Pentecost, but now. It's why we celebrate over and over again this gift of Pentecost, because it reminds us that God's Spirit is still with us and God's Spirit is still moving. And there are a few things we could just do about that. One is to begin to listen, right? Let's listen for God's Spirit. Let's listen for how God is moving. But I want to suggest that we listen in a particular way, and it's not natural, but it is supernatural, and it is spiritual. And it is simply this. When we listen, let's not listen to respond. Hey, I don't like that. I don't think that's right. I believe it's this way. I think it ought to go there. Let's not listen to respond. Let's just listen. Do you know what it's like when someone listens to us? When you speak and someone simply listens to what you are saying, what are they saying to you? You have value. You have worth. You have purpose. You have meaning, right? So if I will listen to somebody else just like I prefer and enjoy when somebody listens to me, not to respond, not to have a comeback, not to, not to tell you how wrong you are, not to tell you how you're going somewhere, but rather simply to listen, I think God would be honored by that. I think the gospel would be glorified by that. And I think the Spirit would sing a beautiful melody over that. Let's start listening to other people, to hear their story, to understand what their makeup is, and to help us better understand the next component of the movement of the Spirit, which I believe is this. When I listen to you, not to respond, but simply to hear you out, I believe it enables me to do this thing. It helps me to see the image of God in you because you're different from me, and it's not my natural inclination to see God in you. It's my natural inclination to see an image of me, to see things as I want to see them, to see things as I believe they ought to be. But when I see the image of God in you, what I realize is 
God is in all things, and God is the creator of all things, and God is the sustainer of all things, and God can do whatever God chooses through you. But if I cannot see the image of God in you, I will not be helpful in that process. But if I am willing to listen to the Spirit and listen to you, I begin to see the God in you who sees the God in me. And then <laughs> much is possible. And then there's a third reality. I know we know this, but I struggle with it, so I can only assume you struggle with it, and that is this that if I've listened to the Spirit and listened to you, and if I have seen the image of God in you, I can then come to this resolution. I or we do not have to agree for me to love you. Ooh, doggy. I do not have to agree with you to love you. And yet, Jesus said, Love your neighbor as yourself. How's that work? It takes the miracle of Pentecost, you see. It takes the miracle of God moving in and among us so that we can hear one another. Because I, I know how to love, at least I think I do. And there are people in my life just like there are people in your life. Usually they're family members, but not always, that I don't agree with, but I love. Why is it that we can figure that out, at least most of the time, with family members, <laughs> but we can't figure it out with our neighbor or with our work colleague or with the person that we really struggle of, of agreeing with, right? Jesus says, love our neighbor. The movement of the early church exploded because they were willing to hear each other, to respond to that listening, and then to work to share the love of Jesus in all kinds of ways. And it's fascinating that on more than one occasion in the book of Acts, as you continue to read through it, you will discover that the early church had the goodwill of all the people. What would that be like if we as followers of Jesus in the 21st century had the goodwill of all the people? I believe that it came, this goodwill, I believe it came because the early followers of Jesus listened to the Spirit when the Spirit showed up, and it caused them and gave them capacity to be able to hear their neighbors who were very different, worshiped all kinds of stuff that was inappropriate and still love them. I wonder, I wonder if we could do that. I believe we can because the Spirit is still moving, because God's Spirit is still among us, and God is still providing that mighty wind that claims us and calls us. And so I'm going to invite you to join me in my own struggle of trying to listen both to the Spirit and to others, and to then respond to that listening because it would so honor God and so bless others and so transform us and the world. And I believe, because I'm naive enough to believe, that we could see the church blossom again, not just this church, any church, 
any church of Jesus, any community of faith that wants to listen and respond. That's the beauty of the power of the Holy Spirit. Thanks be to God that it was true then and that it's still true today. Will you pray with me? Holy and blessed God, thank you for the movement of your spirit. Thank you that you gave such power and authority and clarity to that early church and that you did so, God, because they became willing to listen to you and to listen to their neighbors. And then they responded with your grace and with your mercy and with your justice and with your love. God, give us capacity today. I yearn, we yearn, God, for that same capacity. And really all that's necessary is for us to listen and to respond. So give us courage, God, to do both. Listen and respond. Listen and respond. Listen and respond. For that gift, O oh God, we give you thanks. And we anticipate with great joy the continued movement of your winds, the burning of your fire, the flames of joy and passion, and the opportunity to give that love away. God, this is our prayer, and we pray it in the name of the one Jesus, whom we know to be the Christ. Amen.